0: hello everybody and welcome to the crypto hipsters chronicles this is your host Jamil hassan the crypto hipster where from the period of time of march 2021 through june 2022 i interviewed 182 founders executives entrepreneurs artists and authors from over 50 different countries and built a global audience in 165 countries while posting and producing my podcast at the irish tech news platform since then i realized there's a lot of incredible content in the interviews that i had and my interviews were thought leadership podcast interviews that had amazing gems amazing gems from um all the guests that i was able to interview and so I've chosen and decided to create the uh, Crypto Hipsters Chronicles series, which is a series of the gems, the, the little tiny pieces from each of the interviews that I had in the areas of Bitcoin, Ethereum, metaverses, NFTs, regulatory issues in crypto globally, art, and you name it across the wide spectrum of different verticals in blockchain and crypto industry and in fintech and mobility and sustainability as well. Uh, These are about 15 minutes long, each uh, chronicle and has three, four or five different segments from different interviews. So I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I hope you have uh, learned a lot. And if you'd like to um, listen to the full podcasts, they are available online at both the Irish Tech News um, and on Anchor and uh in a future date will be available on the crypto hipsters station as well so please enjoy
1: and uh talk to you soon welcome to the crypto hipster chronicles episode
0: 28 defying the future of finance for retail and institutional crypto adoption this episode of The Chronicles brings forth four interviews. First, Howard Krieger, who's the founder of Unfederal Reserve. Secondly, Jesu Siten, who is the founder of DeFi Trends. Third is Rosario Ingargiola, who's the founder and CEO of Bosonic and fourth is Scott Harrigan, who is the CEO of Securitize Markets. Enjoy.
2: You know, I see uh, I see DeFi
0: only growing. Um, and so I think so do you, um, you know, and in a few years from now, DeFi will be major. What, what do banks need to do or what, what, what do banks need to do right now? Um, so they're not playing catch up um in a few years had to you know, what do they got to do to
2: you know to- well i can tell you what what i, I hear they are doing so the first mm-hmm. thing that they're they're looking after is they're trying to create a lot of them the challenger banks these are the these are these are kind of like the tech forward challenger banks vindex are are almost all unilaterally looking to make their own stable coin. you know there there's a lot of uh you know signature bank um with their signet product um, I know Cross River Bank is thinking about making a stable coin that should be coming out soon. Um, I imagine the JPMorgan Chases of the world and their token, um, they're going to look to convert into like this dollar for dollar. You know, if they receive a deposit, they mint. And when the dollar goes out, they burn. Um, th- this whole proxy for a U.S. dollar is really a target for a lot of these early banks. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see who, which stable coin really Uh, takes hold i like avantis uh you know the first crypto chartered bank out of wyoming avanti their their uh, crypto um, stablecoin i believe they're looking to have it receive banknote status which would actually make the token fdic insured if it was approved which in essence is now you literally don't need that dollar because you have a federally guaranteed banknote version of a stablecoin just brilliant Um, so I, I would think for banks that are, that are thinking that, hey, they got to do something, the first thing is just appoint somebody to participate in, in the ecosystem. You, you know, you have someone in the bank get an ERC-20 wallet and open accounts at the top DeFi exchanges, uh, hopefully ours, uh, and then uh, go from there. Um, learning about what DeFi means, what the limits are, what the controls are, uh, and then like us, you, you know, our biggest competitive advantage versus Ave or any of these other uh, DeFi platforms is we're focused on U.S. regulatory and compliance rails. So, so the bank that wants to be in crypto should also be thinking about, hey, what are my rules and regs, and where am I getting the data? To meet those rules and rigs today. And how can DeFi map to that data? uh, So that maybe I need a hybrid, you know, traditional centralized database for something, and then DeFi for for the maybe the the engine of, of the deposits and lending. But the combination of the centralized data and the blockchain data, how does that map to my US regulatory and compliant needs? Those should be the steps that these banks take over the next nine months maybe not dive right into, like, let's make a new stable stablecoin. Uh, but, but those are the two kind of main areas right now.
0: So you said that you're you know, the, the the hedge funds use these indicators or hedge funds and corporate JP Morgan and stuff, but you also want to onboard, you know, the regular person and the regular person doesn't understand math at the level of some of these ana- analysts. So how do you how do you bridge that gap and and help the regular layperson understand um, some of these metrics you're using building?
3: That's a great question. And that's our focus point at DeFi Trends. We are. Uh, focusing on people that don't have this data science background or don't have this experience in trading we're providing the most intuitive and easily digestible user interface that we could possibly create we've gone through multiple iterations of our um, user experience how can one log into our platform and actually understand what these indicators mean because You know, not everyone's a data scientist and not everyone is a finance whiz. We're trying to make these indicators uh, as simple and as intuitive. So let's say indicators are indexed to 100 if we have our score Uh, closer to higher ranges to 100. This means that it's been doing well. And this is made from our internal AI that we've been working on. And other indicators show very nice um, images and graphs so you can easily understand them. And that was one of our differentiators with other Uh, data analytics and AI companies was that they were all intended for pro traders. They made everything look like Bloomberg, super gray with these like, you know, candlesticks. Uh, Everyone knows that it's not easy to use. So we revamped and uh, made this user interface beautiful, understandable, and also aiming it towards women because women are really, Uh, not into crypto there's it's definitely a male dominant um, sector and we're trying to bring more women and empower them to get in and a friend of mine said a friend of ours who's also an investor said when the the day comes that you know traders girlfriends and traders wives are trading crypto with them that's when we know we're at our full potential so we're definitely leading that uh, force bringing, you know, women, newcomers, people that just get in into the space.
0: Great. I think it took about four years for my wife to be on board
3: uh, with me being crypto. We're trying to make that into four months or four weeks.
0: Great. And how do you do that?
3: How do we do that through our education and our research platform? So we spent a lot of time uh, creating our educational platform where our uh, co-founder, Daniela Now, is spearheading. She has background in leadership, education, branding, community. She's prepared a very uh, detailed education platform where a user can go in and actually understand how does on-chain analysis help you make confident investment decisions? How does these indicators play in what your investment decision should be? So we have quizzes, we have podcasts, we have videos, we definitely have detailed um, articles being written by our researchers. So definitely a cornucopia of information that's easy and understandable and in a language that everyone can understand, like I said, our focus points are for people to get in that you know don't have prior experience.
0: So let's talk about a little bit about, about counterparty because that's one of the areas I think that is under known or undervalued or underappreciated. Um, the importance of counter of reducing counterparty risk, especially in, in peer-to-peer in Bitcoin, right? What do you see as the role and how important is it to reduce that counterparty risk so the institutions can be involved?
4: Uh, from our perspective, it's 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 the biggest it's the next biggest thing that the industry needs, uh, you know, beyond, you know, the, the original problem was sort of you know regulated, neutral, safe custody. Right. So now that the custody piece is largely solved. The, the the next biggest problem in the space that we think is a barrier to institutional adoption uh, is, is really that elimination of counterparty credit and settlement risk. And, and the problem is, and, and this is where, you know, what a lot of people don't understand, in traditional markets, prime brokerage, which is largely, you know, performed by the top five or six, you know, global banks that are in the prime brokerage business, they use their balance sheet to essentially guarantee uh, you know the transactions that all their counterparties are are entering into with other counterparties. And so that does not that construct does not exist at all in the digital asset space. And so what Basonic has done is solve it with pure technology where you have these essentially at the time of trade each trade is against those assets on that that layer two custodial blockchain ledger. Uh, or a network of those layer two custodial blockchain ledgers, such that the trades are actually atomic exchanges of value, which means simply that it's a concurrent transaction that's a total success or a total fail. In other words, there's no such thing as a half done trade. you 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 get legal change of ownership of dollars at the same time as you give up and change ownership of the Bitcoin to your counterparty. Uh, and that's all done in milliseconds at the time of trade. We've integrated this into, um institutional you know full-blown institutional trading kit right you know central limit order book exchange dark pool uh rfq based block trading platform etc and so that uh, ability to do a payment versus payment or atomic transaction where is is how we're eliminating the counterparty credit and settlement risk so you, we don't need a balance sheet to come in and guarantee these transactions and so, you know, we we think that this infrastructure is 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 really sort of you know, a linchpin in, uh, in 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 really institutional adoption and growth to the to the next level. Because if you talk to anybody who's regulated or running client capital, uh, they're generally unwilling or unable to put assets at retail exchanges or trade on credit lines with market makers. There's a there's a few exceptions out there you know but a lot of what people are talking about in in you know in terms of institutional adoption today is is you know people you know buying and holding digital assets through regulated custodians like fidelity like nidig you know and and all the rest right and and that's a that's one facet of institutional you know interest and investing in the space the other facet is sort of just the the global marketplace that needs to you know develop and 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 that requires this ability to have, uh, uh, you know, no counterparty credit or settlement risk as people transact, for example, cross custodian, you know, and and they and they trade, you know, how do you how do the custodians then net settle on behalf of all the clients without taking, you know, having counterparty credit or settlement risk? And there are there are things in the you know that people have never even heard of, like in the FX space, like CLS Bank, uh, that perform that function. There's a bank that very few people have heard of that literally holds balances for all the tier one banks and all the other banks that are participating in the FX markets and literally does a payment versus payment transaction with their clients' you know, assets to eliminate the possibility of a settlement fail, right? That doesn't exist outside of Basonic in the digital asset space. So we're kind of like the CLS bank uh, of digital assets as some analogies there there's some analogies with sort of what the, the role that DTCC, plays in 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 the equities markets and 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 so on and again we're doing it all with pure technology and without reliance upon uh giant giant balance sheets that's the
0: first part we talked about securitization now transfer agency um what is the value proposition for transfer agencies in the digital asset industry you know including the ability to, to trade using them
1: yeah so I think I think I'd point to just to sort of start that conversation is is in two thousand and nineteen, right? The SEC and FINRA, they sort of did this joint statement and it spoke to you know the broker dealer and the custody of digital asset securities. But within that joint statement, they also talked specifically about transfer agents. Um, and as part of helping, Protect customers, which is really what this joint statement was about. The, the SEC and FINRA actually said that transfer agents have the right to act as what they called good control locations for digital asset securities. And in essence, good control location could be used in the same terminology as custodying of those assets, so acting as the custodian of digital asset securities, and so. When you think about the securitized ecosystem, right, is so with the transfer agent, so we we mint the digital asset security, we create the smart contract that governs all of the compliance related rules of that security. So as an example, if there's a holding period where that security cannot be sold, if there is a certain investor limit so if you can only have 99 investors we build the smart contract technology to support those requirements and then as the transfer agent we continue to monitor all that and make sure that it's all correct now on the trading side of it which was back to your original question as our ats interacts with our transfer agent platform it has a real-time perspective into If Jamil has 100 shares, it knows in real time that you have those 100 tokens to sell. It can also tell whether or not they're free and clear to trade based on any restrictions that they might have. And then what's really cool about our platform is if someone does decide that they want to sell their tokens on our ATS and someone else buys those tokens, as the transfer agent, there's real-time settlement meaning that the buyer and the seller's records would be updated in real time on our platform, and so an issuer can go in and at any moment see a real-time vision of the cap table. Now, this is so unique compared to traditional financial markets where, you know, there's a traditional settlement period for someone goes to Fidelity and buys a stock, you know, you don't see the settlement of that security for a couple of days in this world, we're able to do all that stuff in real time, right? So the transfer agent really acts as a conduit to both settle securities transactions, but more importantly, to continue to maintain all of those compliance related requirements for the life of the security.